but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Okay, so today I want you to see Paul's story. I want you to see kind of your own story in all of this, and then I want you to see Jesus' story. But first we're going to watch how Paul models his personal story in order to tell Jesus' story. So we see that the violence here, this riot is starting to reach a peak. And then this Roman commander who is in charge of the order of this city finds out about it. And then him and his soldiers rush right into the middle of this riding crowd. And they grab Paul for his own safety because it was a very violent and dangerous situation. In fact, if you look at Acts 21.35, it says, And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. So, in an attempt to calm down this unruly mob, Paul starts to tell his story, his personal testimony. And all through this section of Acts, Paul is basically confronting one hostile audience after another. And you can see this from right in the opening words we read in Acts 22.1. Here are the defense. He's already got to defend himself before even doing anything, just walking into the city. So he also endures one life-threatening situation after another, and all through this section, the personal details of Paul's own story begin to emerge. So back in Acts 21, 37, Paul's speaking to this tribune, the Roman commander, and the English translation kind of obscures this because we don't really have this uh, in um, our language, but Paul speaks to the tribune in the formal, courteous Greek. And this was to show that Paul was a person of a particular social status and, and level of education. And he speaks to the commander in formal Greek, and the commander says, like, basically, whoa, wait a minute, like, I thought you were this foreign rabble-rouser. Like, who are you? And, and God uses even the smallest details of Paul's life from his education, social status, even his place of birth. And Paul speaks to people just like him. These people were raised just like him. These were his people. And he says these important words in verse 3. I am a Jew. And in verse 2 he says, And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So a moment ago he spoke polite Greek to the tribune, but now he switches his languages. He's speaking some, you know, their specific dialect of Aramaic at the time and quickly won them over by surprising them with his ability to speak their native language. And he drops an important name in there, Gamaliel, in verse 3. Because Gamaliel's name was really well known. It could open up some of the right doors for you in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and in Acts 5, it talks about how he was respected by all people. So it, what he's saying in effect here is, I believed just like you. I was you at one point. In verse 3, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. And then in verse 4, Paul tells them more from his recent trips uh, to try to stop Christianity. He says, I persecuted this way, the way of Christ, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. But then everything changed for Paul when he encountered a man who was supposed to be dead. Now, <clears throat> this is a pretty radical change for this guy. 
This would have been something that confused everyone right away, and everyone would have been uh, like drawn to this, going, how is this possible? How does something like this happen? Like, the one thing I, I, I was trying to think of, of kind of like a, an analogy of what this could look like, but it would be like you're watching the news, and on the bottom it like scrolls and it's like, Nancy Pelosi says she'll be the new campaign chairperson for Donald Trump's reelection. And you would read that and you'd be like, typo, or maybe I've, I've like lost my mind. Something is off, right? It wouldn't make sense to all those hearing it, but this is the type of transformation. It was very radical. It wouldn't make people go, I don't understand how any of this could happen. I need to know more. So Paul's change uh, starts to being told way back in earlier in Acts on his way to Damascus. But here in Acts 22, he is now retelling it. He is giving his personal testimony. So we're going to pick up in verse 6, Acts 22, verse 6. It says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So I bet if you were to interview the Apostle Paul later on that day, the day that he saw this light and heard Christ speak, and you were to ask him, okay, so out of all the things that happened to you today, what surprised you the most by today's events as you were approaching the city of Damascus? I don't think Paul was as nearly shocked by the light or the voice or even the blindness. So yes, it was a bright light that outshone the noonday sun. And yeah, I think it would be pretty disorienting to suddenly be blind. And yes, hearing a voice from heaven would probably make your knees shake. But the one thing Saul never considered was that Jesus was still alive. So up until this moment, Saul knew that Jesus was dead, that, that all this talk about him coming back was a lie. He had to stop these lies. And the resurrection was the game changer. And, and kind of similar to like a police detective taking his suspect into an interrogation room, Paul hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As soon as this heavenly light confronts Paul, he asks, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, while Paul's companions saw nobody there, Paul knew exactly who he had seen and heard from. The minute Paul understood that Jesus was raised from the dead, he lost control over his life in a good way, in the best way. All right, continuing on with his testimony in verse 17, he says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul kind of rounds off his story here by sharing how God had told him that he would undergo these riots and, and, and suffering that he was enduring that exact day. But notice that the word he says here, before they stop him, in verse 21, is the word Gentiles. And we're going to get into that, but just log that away. But anyone who encounters Jesus has three elements 
to his or her story. And Paul's kind of gone over all three of these. First, you have your life before Jesus. What were you doing? How were you living? What did it feel like to live without Jesus Christ? Number two, how you encountered Jesus. So how did you get to the point where you surrendered your life to Christ? Who were the people that came into your life? What did they say to you? What were the events that led up to it? And three, how your life has changed because of Jesus. Now what are you doing with your life? How has your purpose in life changed? How do you feel? What is the differences? How do you think? Everything. Everything should be changed, and you need to talk about that. So every genuine believer has a story of how they came to give their lives to Christ. And your story is personal. It is not anyone else's story. And your story is really, really important for at least two reasons. I mean, a lot of reasons, but at least two reasons. First is, it's how Christ saved you. Eternal salvation is kind of important. Um, Two is, your story is this powerful ramp for others to embrace Christ themselves. So all of us must have our encounter with Jesus. And conversion is not something that's just for bad people or religious people. It is for all people. And there is this great danger when you start to question your conversion and your conversion story because it doesn't you know, kind of meet the style of someone else's. Some of us see all of this you know, about Paul's life and we think to ourselves like, man, I have never had anything close to this happen in my life, right? No bright lights, nothing crazy. But even inside the Bible, actual conversion accounts are incredibly diverse. You know, there are, there are just so many different experiences. Some of them are very sudden. You know, it's just like, wow, 180 flip, kind of like Paul here. Some, um, some of them are very dramatic, but there are others that are more normal, more quiet. You know, for example, we talked about this person a, a few, like a month ago or so, but uh, Lydia, who's a lady um, in Acts 16, she's converted through a Bible study. There's no miracles, there, there's no visions, there's no heavenly lights, just a Bible study. Probably heard that a lot in our own lives from people we know. There's danger where one style of conversion uh, kind of becomes the standard for everybody else. And no one's story is exactly the same, but that is a great and beautiful thing. It is a way for God to reach all different types of people. Jesus healed, for example, dozens of people, many uh, from blindness, right? But he kind of did some of them in slightly different ways. For some, he just simply touched them, and they were instantly healed. Uh, For one man, Jesus made mud, rubbed it in the man's eyes, told him to go wash it out at a nearby pool. And when the man did, as Jesus said, he was healed, and his blindness uh, was gone, and he could see for the first time in his life. In John 9, 25, it says, He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So I have thought personally that uh, there's nothing special about my story. Maybe you have thought something similar. I know I've heard this a lot uh, through uh, many, many years of, of being in church. Is I've heard people say st- something like this. Well, there's nothing really special about my testimony. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents had us in church all the time. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10. You know, I never did drugs. I never struggled with alcohol. Um, I didn't have a lot of premarital sex. Like, I didn't have like all these crazy things going on. I kind of have a boring testimony. Who wants to hear a testimony like that? Uh, I often found, though, um, that in these situations when 
people start to feel like they have nothing to share, ultimately, I believe that is really Satan, our enemy, trying to keep you silent. I think at that moment, you should share your story more than ever. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. So when I talk to a student about their faith, and they're saying, you know, I'm I'm a believer, I want to be baptized, I'll ask them a bunch of questions. Usually one of them will be similar to this. I'll say, would you be willing to stand in front of your peers at school and say, I am not ashamed of my faith in Jesus? And that's kind of shorthand for Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's very important that Christians are able to articulate to other people how and why they became believers in Jesus. And we should all have a prepared testimony. We should all be willing to share that testimony at the drop of a hat. Sharing your salvation story builds a relationship bridge of understanding that Jesus can just walk across into the heart of that lost person. And sharing your story often holds the hearer's interest way longer than if you start quoting the words of great theologians. People will listen to you because instead of being like a professional salesman, you are a broken child talking about your loving father. And people will relate to you because we are all broken and everyone desires a loving father. So you also need to, when sharing your testimony, gain confidence in telling your story. And you need to understand the best strategy of how to tell your story. So now the Bible says Paul gestured to them in Acts 21.40, and he did some gesture, and all of a sudden everyone kind of got quiet, right? And you wonder, okay, what is this gesture? Why is that important? Well, Paul used an orator's gesture, and um, it's, it's, uh, it, uh, back then it was just this, in that time and culture, you, we don't know what it looked like exactly, but you, you did something, and then everyone recognized it, and it meant all right, sit down, be quiet. I'm a public speaker. I know how to do this. I'm ready to say something. I wish we had that with children, just, and they're all just quiet, and you're like, yes. That might be too much power for anybody, but, um, but I would say Paul here, he, he's a public speaker. He knows his audience. He knows how to get their attention. He knows what to say, and so we also need to be like that. We need to know who we're speaking to, know our audience. We need to know our own story well, just like Paul did, to be effective in telling it. So I took an evangelism class in seminary, and we had to write down our story, and we had to get it down to like one page, um, and, and then like a longer version and all that. But I would encourage you to write it down. Get to know your own testimony really well, so that um, you, you, know, you could study and strategize and figure out how to tell it effectively. But you also need to be selective. You cannot include every single thing in your life that has led up to this point. And people don't really want to hear all of that. I would say in some instances, you may have about five minutes to tell your story. But I would say 90% plus of cases where you have an opportunity to tell someone about your personal testimony, you have maybe one to two minutes at most. Okay, So for that reason, it is worth thinking through several different length messages, a one-minute version a two-minute version, and then maybe one that's three minutes or longer, and that would be like a case where you and someone are sitting down for coffee and you have some time to talk. You also have to eliminate religious jargon. So I've seen this before where 
uh, me and a friend are like talking to someone who's not a believer, who hasn't ever gone to church. And then that person will be like, well, this is, you know, my testimony is we did an altar call and I walked down the aisle and that's when I decided to ask Jesus into my heart. That sentence is not helpful at all to someone who does not understand any of those terms, right? So you have to speak in a way, just like Paul did, in a way that makes sense to the people or the person you're talking to. Next is, and most importantly, remember to tell Jesus' story. Got to tell his story. So again, anyone who encounters Jesus has three elements to his or her story. Your life before Jesus, how you encountered Jesus, and how your life has changed because of Jesus. And remember, your story, personal story, doesn't save people. Jesus' story saves people. And I have seen so many people do this over the years where they have this amazing testimony of how God ripped them out of the grip of addiction to drugs, alcohol, what have you. But over time, when they tell their testimony, they become so wrapped up in their story that they begin to forget Jesus' story. And it starts to be about how they fought on their own strength to overcome something. And then they chose God because they decided it was best. And what it starts to sound like is they overcame the world first, and then when everything was good and fine and they were, you know, all set, then they went to Jesus. But the problem with that is that's not only not true, that is the opposite of the gospel message, right? We don't go to God when everything's good, because if that was the case, heaven's empty right now, right? We come to him broken and in disrepair. So I like how Greg Laurie puts it. He says, never substitute your testimony for the gospel, Always use your story to illustrate the power of the gospel. So an account of a, of a changed life is an amazing thing. It's, it's incredible. It's inspiring. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that explains what it's all about and like how any of it even happened in the first place. And it's the gospel that turns sharing your story into actual evangelism. And to put it bluntly, it is the gospel and what Jesus has done that makes your story even worth sharing in the first place. Acts 22, um, going back to verse 12 now, kind of going back a little bit. So Paul's speaking again, he says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Again, your story doesn't save. Jesus' story saves. Now, most people will listen to your story, but this is what you have to watch for. That reaction when you move from your story alone to the story of the cross of Jesus. Now, what made that crowd so mad after listening for a while there that they go into a rage when they hear him say the word Gentiles in verse 21? So Paul has done everything possible to cross this bridge to reach this Jewish audience. He spoke their language. He emphasizes Jewishness all throughout his speech. He hasn't even said the word Jesus once, not once to this point, and after doing all of this, they become unruly and want him dead when he says the word Gentiles. Why? We have to remember, at this point again, he's well known for teaching Mosaic Law, Ceremonial Laws, Dietary Laws, 
sacrifices in the temple, those things don't make you holy and pure and clean before God. And they hated that. They also hated how the cross was designed to save people of every background by faith in Jesus Christ. They hated that God's grace reached outside the Jewish walls. So Christianity is the most culturally and racially diverse religion by far. For example, every other major religion in the world has 80% or more of its adherents on one or two continents. Roughly speaking with Christianity, we have about 20% of Christians in Africa, about 20% in South America, about 20% in Asia, a little bit more than 20% in Europe, a little bit less than 20% in North America. And there is no other religion that comes close to that. There's no other demographic or group of people at all that come close to that type of widespread reaching. So always, through both words and actions, point all people, all people to Jesus and the cross. So do you have a story to tell? Have you encountered Jesus Christ? Do you know how to tell your story? Do you need maybe some courage to tell your story? Again, you might not believe your story is particularly important, but I promise you the Apostle Paul himself likely believed the same thing for at least a little while in his life. But think about the impact his evangelism had on the world. So he goes and he starts to plant churches in Europe for the Gentiles. And and eventually Christianity starts to spread and goes all the way up to England. And after suffering persecution, English pilgrims left and came to America. And we are here now in this church this morning holding English translated Bibles because of what God did through Paul 2,000 years ago. Paul never knew any of this would happen. He didn't know that the Gentile you know, uh, church reach would be 20% on every continent. He didn't know like half the continents existed. you know. But out of faith, he trusted God would work if he shared his story to tell Jesus' story. So I want you to leave here this morning praying, planning with your family about how to share your stories to tell his story. Let's pray. God, we know that you are good. You are the only good thing that exists, and the salvation you offer, and the grace you have, and the mercy you give. God, uh, most of the people in this room know those things to be true and have, have received all of those. It's so good, especially in contrast and comparison to the rest of what's offered from this world. That should propel us to want to go out and preach your good news to every living soul we see and come in contact with. God, you want all people, people from every corner of the world, to come to know you, be saved, and also be discipled. God, help us in this church at Common Ground, not just the pastors, not just the mission team, all of us, in your church as a whole, in this whole world, not just North America, not just the American church, but God, to do your will, to make it happen. And your will was very clear. Last thing Jesus said to us before he took his place on the throne was go and make disciples of every single nation. It starts with us, God. It starts with us personally deciding we are going to obey that command and see it through. Help us to find out what that means and what that looks like in our own personal lives. Put the faces of the people in our minds right now that you have in our heart that we need 
to speak to about Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we love that you love all of us and you want to reach all of us. Use us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.